Episode 55 of the Pilot the Pilot Podcast takes off now. Hello, I'm Shannon Ferreira, known as Chanelli on Instagram for my dances. Um, I am a first officer on the Embraer 190 for a major U.S. carrier. Today's episode is sponsored by Lyft Academy. Lyft, located in Indianapolis, Indiana, is one of the newest flight training programs in the country. And from their planes to their EFBs, they're using some of the most advanced technology in the industry. Owned and operated by Republic Airways, Lyft Academy guarantees its students who complete the training program not only a job to build flight time, but also a job as a first officer at Republic Airways. And with its inception in September, nearly 100 students are already in the program. If you're considering a career in the airlines, fly with Lyft. Learn more about their program at www.flywithlyft.com. What is going on, AV Nation, and welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin, and I am your host. Today, I'm talking with Shannon from everyone's favorite dancing pilot on Instagram, Pilot Chanelli. Some of the things Shannon and I talk about in today's episode are why Shannon really got into aviation, how her dad flew the B-52 bomber, Shannon talks about what it was like to balance athletics and flying at a Division I school. Shannon talks about what she looked for when choosing an aviation school. Shannon talks about how instrument training was a pivotal moment for her in her training. How important your IFR training is. Shannon talks about her favorite things from being a CFI, including flying for an organization called Flying Wings for Children. Shannon gives her three tips to a new student on how to be the best student they can possibly be. Aviation, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. It is a hilarious episode. Shannon speaks some great truth in this episode. I think it is a must for everyone to listen. I'm very excited to talk to her. She was a very, very requested interviewee by you guys. So I'm excited to get this out. I also want to go ahead and say thank you guys. Thank you all my patrons. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like today's podcast, please leave us a review. Check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pilot the pilot. You can also check out our website, pilot the pilot hq.com and you can email me at pilot the pilot hq at gmail.com aviation i don't want to keep you waiting any longer so without further ado here's pilot chanelli what's going on pilot chanelli <laughs> uh thanks for coming on the podcast i appreciate it yeah, thanks for having me. No I'm glad problem. It out yeah, and the reason why I was laughing, people didn't hear what we we're talking about before, but I always thought her name was Shanley, Pilot Shanley, and it's Pilot Shanley. So there we go. Yeah. Yes, that is it. That's Shanley, awesome. My college nickname. That's so cool. Well, glad it made it to Instagram. But let's go ahead and get started and uh, just talk about why you wanted to be a pilot. What is the reason for you getting into aviation? Oh gosh, why did I get into aviation? Honestly, I don't remember not having aviation in my life. Um, I grew up with a father that was in the Air Force, so I was a little bit of an Air Force brat. Um, we moved for the first four years of my life, and I guess I just always remember having airplanes around me. Mm -hmm. um, remember going to the airport, and my dad flew the B-52 bomber, so oh, that's like... Yeah, I mean, if you're like if you're going to start with an airplane, you might as well go with the biggest, baddest right. thing out there. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I remember going watching this big mammoth thing fly, and I just it made no sense to me, but it was it was so cool to watch at the same time. So, um, when he was done with the Air Force, he ended up being an airline pilot, and we've just always traveled and flown everywhere. So, I think I kind of just feel like it's always been a part of my life, yeah. and just felt like a natural transition, like when it came time to you know, coming up with a career for myself, it just, it fits, 
it fits me. So. Yeah. So would your dad, so you said obviously your dad was big in aviation. Would he take you up at all in planes or younger? Or did you not really start flying in smaller planes until you started doing your training? Yeah, no, I did not really start flying in um, until I was actually older. I think I started, it was in high school. My dad had a friend who owned an airplane and took me up for the first ride just to kind of make sure this is what I want to do because it's always fun to watch on the outside and ride <laughs> yeah. back. But when you're actually the one at the controls, you're like, you may not like this as much. And you start throwing up all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what is yeah. this? Give me down, give me down, give me down. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, are we done yet? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So, um, yeah, so that was my very first exposure to it. Um, he took me up in a friend's airplane and I just loved it. Of course, you know, going from like my only exposure being in the airlines where we take off, mm-hmm. you know, with the two big jets engines. And then, you know, you go to the little prop and it's like, 60 knots rotate and i'm like uh what yeah they have <laughs> the door so open slow. up until takeoff yeah it's like <laughs> yeah. can you close that please <laughs> i'm like are you sure we're flying right now yeah. <laughs> <It's a little laughs> but um yeah no we um we didn't really like my dad and my parent my mom really let me find my own journey on like myself yeah. uh, it was me who pursued it and they just encouraged me and just kind of let me go about my way, you know, into proving that this is what I wanted to do. So they, they kind of exposed me a little bit to it just by having me go up with a friend. And then, um, I did my flight training in the summer, um, or my freshman in college and my sophomore year in college. So, uh, that was really the first time I started actually working towards my own career. Did you choose your school, your university based off them having an aviation program or was it just kind of, Hey, they have an aviation program. Glad I came here. Yeah, no, it was definitely, I was seeking an aviation school. Okay. I mean, I looked at Purdue, I looked at uh, Western Michigan. Being from Pittsburgh, I looked within like a couple hours of this area. Yeah. Um, I looked at Amber Riddle, but I didn't want a school that was just aeronautical. I kind of wanted the variety in case, you know. You wanted to have I, a real college experience? <laughs> yeah. <I need laughs> no that offense to Embry Riddle. Now. Yeah, no offense. <laughs> hey, I wouldn't be chanel if I didn't. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, no, I actually was looking, I was actually doing uh, sports at the same time. So I was looking for a college that had my sport and also an aviation program with their own airport um, that I could, you know, kind of pursue both nice. dreams, I guess, if you will. So yeah. former athletes got to stick together. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm so far removed from that. It's so sad. <laughs> so am I. I miss those days. I get reminded every day. It's like, uh, why does my arm yeah. hurt? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, God, I so can't do that anymore. Yeah, that's really funny. What was, so you started doing your training, uh, you said your freshman year. What was, yes. what was it like balancing? I know what it was like for me and I've talked about it before, but for you balancing, uh, doing athletics and flying it, was it pretty tough? Was the time and commitment a lot or was it pretty manageable? Um, it was impossible in the beginning for myself. (laughs) (laughs) I figured out a way to manage it, but, uh, it eventually got to be too much. So like in the beginning I was dealing with homesickness. I was dealing with, um, you know, being in a college that I didn't know how the heck to take classes. I didn't know how to do 5am weights because I don't get up that early naturally. (laughs) So, you know, the whole nine yards was like, Oh my gosh. So it was a big battle for me. My freshman year, um, I actually only just did my private pilot ground school and that was, that was it. Um, because my parents really wanted me to take the private pilot, um, course back home in Pittsburgh just to make sure that this was what I wanted to do before mm-hmm. my credits transferred. So, and that's the only one you can kind of do 
and let transfer in. So, um, once I did the private pilot, um, flying portion, I did that between my freshman and sophomore year. And when I went back into my sophomore year, Oh Lord, it was really hard because most people are studying their studies, you know, in between like on the bus ride, they're finishing their homework, they're Mm -hmm. getting chapters. And here I am like, you know, I can't strap my airplane to the top of the bus. So, you know, I'm, (laughs) you're going to fly from city to city. What are you talking about? I'll meet you guys at the game. I'm (laughs) going to go take my Cessna and do a cross country. So I'll be back. Um, Yeah. yeah, So, um, no, that was very difficult for me to manage. And I actually fell behind on my flying because of the time commitment as an athlete, just, you know, the weights in the morning, the conditioning, um, then you go to classes, just your normal classes for your credits. And then you have afternoon practices and then you have dinner, you have study halls or whatever you had to do. And then it was, it was bedtime. So it was very difficult. And, you know, I would have my flight time, my like slots, you know, that I was scheduled for, for that semester. But, you know, the weather doesn't always cooperate in Ohio. I mean, we all kind of know what type of weather that place gets. So it's the worst. It's, your schedules on certain days to find if it doesn't work out, it was hard for me to reschedule because, you know, I was at practice or I was doing, you know, away at games or something like that. So it was not easy. I wouldn't change it for the world because the growing experience for me to do both was awesome. But, um, yeah, it was a challenge for sure. I probably could have managed it better, but (laughs) well, yeah, same with me looking back. I was like, man, I was kind of like a a wuss. Like I was like, I just made excuses over and over again. But in the moment I was like, I'm tired. It's like, I just woke up at a workout at 4am. My legs can barely move. It's like, how am I going to use right rudder? So I don't go into a spin when I do a power on stall. It's like, I don't understand how this is going to work. And so I would, I would constantly cancel. I was the worst student you could ever imagine just because I was always canceling. And it was, I mean, I had good intentions. It just football just ruled my life. Like, I mean, that's why I was at school is for football. I wasn't to go fly. So it's not like I could really quit football. Like that wasn't really an option. So I can definitely relate to, to what you're going through with that. Oh yeah. I mean, I can barely pick up a coffee cup at 4 a.m. <laughs> you know, the weights yeah. and do, you know, power cleans and all this yep. other stuff. So, and then you're just exhausted. And so they're trying to teach you to like do an ILS and you're just like falling asleep under the you're hood. Like, you're like, are you there? Yeah. What's like, an ILS? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, just taking a quick nap on the glide slope. <laughs> Wake me up. And, we still got, what, 10 minutes before we land? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. Funny. Yeah. What was, um, what was the support system that you had when you're going through flying? Because like you said, being an athlete in school is a lot. And then you throw flying in there as well. Were your friends like, man, you're crazy. Why are you trying to fly? Like, that's wild. Or were they pretty supportive and pretty happy for you? No, I, I had a really good support system. I think the non-aviation friends thought it was cool mm-hmm. um, because still at the time, there's not a lot of female pilots. And so, you know, when you say you're becoming a pilot and they, some of them would want to come on my flights with me. I That's mean, cool. you know, I'd go on cross countries and sometimes you go to grab dinner and then at the FBO and come back and they would be like, oh yeah, let's go. You know, they, <laughs> they kind of enjoyed it. So um, it was a fun it was fun. You know, I had great a great group out at the airport. We It was almost like our own community because the airport was about 10-minute drive off campus. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of our own little world out there almost because it was just the, you know, 200 students. And you would see almost the same people all the time. It was almost like your own little family. Everybody knew each other. So, um, so it was really good. I, I really have not – I can't complain because I've not had a lot of people tell me, you can't do this. And like you suck. I only had one instructor that really gave it to me straight and it was, 
It was probably the hardest thing I've had to swallow, but he huh. was right at the time, and it was not something I wanted to hear, right. but I needed to hear it, and it really got me upset, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to do this, but it probably kick-started me you know, into the career that I wanted because it was like, I need to do this. Do you mind you know? if I ask you what he said that kind of kicked your butt and kind of woke you up? Yeah, no, it's, um, it's not like a big story. It's just that, um, when I went through my private pilot's license, I, I was kind of rushed. I was doing it between, you know, June and August. I had basically almost two months, you know, half of June, half of August and kind of like before I had to go back to school for my sophomore year. And I was just, I was pounding it out. So I felt like I was so rushed that I didn't get time to like maybe grasp, grasp everything I wanted to, but I did everything. I completed everything. So when I went back to do my instrument, the very first course I did after my private pilot license was all solo, um, um, cross countries is how our thing was set up before mm-hmm. you did your instrument stuff. And I was like, I don't know the landscape down here. You're just going to put me in a plane and I just, I'm going to follow this VOR that I've only had limited practice on, you know <laughs> what I mean? Things like that. And I'm like, I'm going to never come back. Like, yeah. I just don't even know what's going on here. I was just so nervous and I doubted myself so much because I was so rushed that really as a private pilot, you only do very limited solos, mm-hmm. you know, you're pretty much with an instructor. So to have to do like 30 hours of solo cross countries as soon as I got back to college was like, oh my God, I, I don't think I can do this. So this instructor knew that like I had some friends who basically would go and load like the GPS for me and I would literally just follow the GPS there and figured out how to load it directly back. <laughs> and that's all I did. That's how I got through that course. And yeah. this guy, and I went to do a stage check and this guy's like, this girl's like can barely follow a VOR. How is she getting <laughs> stuff done? And I was just like, and he basically was like, she's never going to, make it if she doesn't learn how to fly her instruments and just follows gps all the time and that was hard for me to swallow because it was not the word like i felt like okay i finally got that course out of my system but he was right i did not know how to use the vr very well i did not know how to use ndbs at the time and i really relied on that purple line to get me there and if i put that program in wrong and i follow that purple line to columbus instead of ohio who knows where you're going yeah (laughs) why are these buildings so big where do they come from and i'm like you know and that's all and i would you know i should have been able to tell that i was 60 degrees off course but i couldn't because i was so um so overwhelmed with like just how fast my training was that i just kind of didn't grasp it all and like instrument course was the pivotal point for me like i had the best instructor for instrument and I, I mean, I'm thankful for the training I had there for that. That's because, awesome. Yeah, that instructor definitely, um, and he was right. I mean, you know, I went home and I was like, oh my God, I, this is never going to happen. <laughs> it's never going to happen. So I don't want to do this anymore. My parents are right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm no. a purple line follower. Yeah. I can't do this. Like, <laughs> That's terrible. Fun. I mean, it's not funny, but it is funny. <laughs> not laughing yeah. at you, laughing at the story. But Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, it's like, I feel like everyone in their training has that moment. Like you get comfortable doing it one way and you don't necessarily understand, have, you don't have the knowledge of everything that's around you and you don't necessarily want to, to get out of what you know because it's hard and it's difficult and it's just something you don't understand. It's like, well, if I know how this works, why do I need to do it this way? You know, it's like, and especially now where how many times do you use a VOR and track a 
VOR and the plane that you fly, you know, it's like exactly. not very often you, all you really do is follow that magenta or purple line. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. but it's very imperative in your training that you know how to track a VOR because I've had, when I was flying freight, it wasn't in an IFR, it was a beautiful VFR day, but my GPS failed and I was going somewhere I've never been before. And I was like, oh, cool. I guess I get to follow VORs. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, it could happen. It could happen in any plane you're flying in. So it's definitely a skill that you need. And I'm glad that the CFI kind of sticking up for what he knew you needed to do. And he kind of had your back in a way. I know it probably didn't feel like that at the time, but he was like, Hey, if you want to be the best pilot you can be, you got to do this. Oh yeah. It was for my best interest. But like you said, I mean, you get so used to one thing and you get limited exposure to something and the needle has to be this one way. And how the heck do I make it turn around the other way? And how do I get home? And you know, when someone's (laughs) like, just put in K U N I and hit enter and I can follow a line and get it. That's all I'm going to do, you know, but he was right. I needed to know everything else. And I'm so glad he did because that, that really, you know, I, I now being where I am, I know how imperative it is to have your basic stick and rudder pilot like skills. You need those. You absolutely do. Well, what you learn is kind of what you build off your whole career based off. Like, I mean, my, the knowledge that I had when I was training and what my flight instructors taught me is I can, you can tell when someone hasn't had a good instructor because they still don't necessarily have a full grasp of what goes on. And then you're just like, the guy might have, he might be your captain. He might have, like 5,000 more hours in you and he does something wrong. And you're like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. It's like, why would you do that? It's like, how? Yeah. And he's like, what do you mean? It's like, what, wait, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, where's so, this thought process yeah. going here? Yeah. Did, where, who taught you this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So, I mean, yeah, it is very imperative to, to kind of have an, a knowledge of everything. So, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. It was a learning curve. That's for sure. Yeah. What was the rest of your training like? Did you struggle with anything else or is it kind of all good to go after that? No, it was pretty solid after that. Um, I got pretty lucky with the instructors that I had. And I think um, when I finally instrument, like I said, was kind of like the course that really turned my my eyes on to aviation. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a whole other world. You're not following yeah. a railroad. You're not doing like, you know, um, on the left side of the lake and checkpoints and stuff like that. And it's like, um, I don't yeah. know. Everything once, once instrument was under my belt, everything clicked. Yeah. It was just, it went really well for me. So, um, well, it's like, yeah, a, it's mean, like learning a new language essentially. Like it's like a whole new way to talk, whole new way to think, whole new way to, to figure out life. Yeah. I got a deeper level, but it's just like, it's completely different and than anything you could ever even fathom. But once you understand it, it's like, Oh, ILS easy. Cool. Done. Exactly. And then it's just a matter of, you know, multi-engine was kind of cool. That was an exposure, but I didn't really have a lot of trouble with it because I had a great instructor. It mm-hmm. just was, it was just, an, everything was different, but I felt so much more confident because I don't know, I guess my confidence just grew once I felt like I got, you know. Once you could track the VORs. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, when yeah. I got that needle to line up, it was like, bam, Chanelli's in town. Let's go. <laughs> so That's awesome. Yeah, no, I've had a pretty good career, uh, nice. like training, to be honest with you, other than that instrument and stuff like yeah. that. Instruments definitely tough for everyone. I mean, for me, it was just not wanting to put in the work, the actual studies that are required, and I was just... Just I caused more flights, more lessons, and more repeated lessons just because I was too lazy to try to put in the work and study. <laughs> you know, I was just I agree with that because um, consistency is huge in aviation, and yeah. I think as a student athlete as well, it was difficult as anything to be consistent. And when you're in those like brand new courses, pilot, private pilot, instrument, and you know, until you kind of get going, it's not easy to just do a f- flight here and there and no. try to remember. 
you know, um, how you did it the last time and why it's not working this time. Yeah, you know? well, for, so. yeah, especially when your last fight could have been like a month ago because you got too exactly. busy with and you're like, wait, what do you mean? It, like I did a month ago. I don't remember what I did a month ago. <laughs> exactly. And then it's summer and who wants to stay for summer school when they I can know. go to. See you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think yeah. so. Bye bye. <laughs> yeah, not in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What was, yeah. uh, what was your path after your training? Did you become a CFI and did you teach at Ohio or at the university that you're at or what was, uh, what was your track? No, I, um, I did the boring like civilian way, I guess, if you will. I don't, I didn't go bounce around anywhere. I, um, ended up getting three CFI jobs, um, right as I was graduating college and I was like, all right, this is awesome. And of course, you know, who wants to go back home whenever mm-hmm. they graduate? They're like, all right, I'm out of here. Peace. Yeah, and bye. so then I realized that, you know, I was making $10 an hour. I probably wouldn't really survive on my own as a flight instructor. So uh, $10 an hour. <laughs> I was like, so mom, is that room still available? Yeah. Free, um, free rent, right? Free rent. Yeah. You still buy my groceries. All right, cool. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. Can I just still put an order for dinner? Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I went back to, um, pit and I got a flight instructor job, right? Like a couple months or like I started it like within a couple weeks of me graduating and uh, I did two years of flight instructing and it was kind of actually longer than I needed in a way because at that time people were hiring like 500 hours or so. Mm-hmm. I think it was like super low at that time. I remember see if I was getting grabbed like, like that. And I just was not, I guess I wasn't confident in myself yet or felt like I was ready for that transition. I was still like, okay, I still want a little bit more time to be like a CFI and make sure that I'm comfortable with, you know, um, the next phase, because I know it's such a leap to go from mm-hmm. like flight instructing and you're bouncing off the runway in a 152 to like a CRJ like, 900. Yeah. yeah. It's like, boom. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot to, uh, to take, take on. So no, I flight instructed for two years and pretty much on my second, in my second anniversary, um, the completion of my second year, I ended up getting hired, um, by express jet. I had interviewed with air Wisconsin and it didn't work out. And then express jet took me, um, and it was kind of weird because three of us went down for interviews at Express Jet, and mm-hmm. I was the only one that got hired. Oh, so damn. <laughs> I felt a little awkward yeah. <laughs> telling my coworkers, like, sorry, I'm... I'm going to go now. Yeah. <laughs> Awkwardly I'm, walk out the room. Yeah. yeah. It's great seeing you guys. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I got hired there, and... It's, it was a good, it was a good place for me. How many um, hours would you say you had when you got hired and you went to the regional? Uh, I want to say I had 1200 ish okay. hours, which like I said, is a lot more because I, at the time, I think it was between five and 800 that people were getting called for interviews at the time. Yeah. So I, I definitely waited longer and I guess I probably, you know, knowing how the seniority game goes in the airlines probably could have tried to pursue that earlier, but I'm very much the type of person that if I feel like I'm being rushed or I feel like I'm just not ready for that phase, I won't put myself in that position until I'm like all there. No, and you so. shouldn't. I mean, that's a good call. I mean, aviation's all about decision making. So that's a, a good decision to make. If you don't feel comfortable, there's no reason to put yourself in that situation. Yeah. I think some people just get so busy chasing the next step, the next step that, it, um, you know, um, sometimes they put themselves in positions that they're not necessarily always ready for, yeah. you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm just more of the, let me just make sure <laughs> person. <laughs> That's funny. What was, uh, what was your time as a CFI like? Did you have some interesting students or interesting stories to tell from your time as a CFI? Oh my God. Yes. 
Oh, the people that I flew with. They're yeah. so, they're so sweet. Um, no, you know, I'm not going to name names or anything, but you know, you have the girl that, um, who just, she, she was, I don't know. She never soloed. She just was trying to learn how to land and ended up on my plate, you know, three years later and she was yeah. still trying to learn how to land. And at some point somebody's got to tell the poor girl, you're not going to land. May, <laughs> she might not figure this out, yeah. you know, and I tried every technique in the book, but I mean, yeah, that was, that was good. Not the best flying for my body. Um, <laughs> but you know, I've, I've had, um, I've had a couple of students, um, you know, I fly with a lot of males. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'll just leave it as like the whole male female <laughs> situation in the cockpit. Yeah. Um, that they would get mixed up with my, um, amazing instructing skills as something else. So, oh no, that's awkward. Yeah, it's very awkward. Yeah. So, um, that, that had to be put to a stop. So, um, I've had those stories and then, but I've also had some really cool opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, we did two things. Um, one of my favorite things that I got to do was it was called Wings for Children. Mm-hmm. And that what they did was the um, multi-engine airplane that we had at our flight school. They took two flight instructors and we would basically fly kids for free to doctor's appointments. So that way they could get the health care that they oh, actually no needed. So Wings for Children was a program that we donated our time. I mean, for me, it was a multi-engine builder. So of course, I, you know, I was growing my resume by doing this, but I was also growing as a person because when you land an airplane and you see this mother and this child that's, you know, six years old and is just battling some sort of disease or cancer or something. And you're just like your heart breaks and you're just basically there to transport them. And Mm -hmm. you, you hope things are going well for them. And, and it was, there's a story where there was a, there was this little kid in this, um, mom that we picked up multiple times. I, I want to say, um, what is it? What's the program called? Is it like a, I want to say it's like Shin. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of of the program for the kids, uh, what it's called. Anyways, it doesn't matter. I'll get <laughs> sidetracked trying to find the name. But anyway, okay, so we picked up this um, child and his mother multiple times. They lived in, like, middle of Pennsylvania, and they were going to Cincinnati for treatment all the time. And we would fly them those long distance. And so I got to know them a little bit, and I found out this little kid was a huge Steelers fan. And I happened to actually know the – um the trainer at the time for the Pittsburgh Steelers, the head trainer, athletic trainer. So he went and got a signed football of like all the Steelers for him. And I brought it with me on my very last flight with him. And it was the cutest and coolest (laughs) experience for me. So it was awesome to see how well he was doing like by the end of it. So that was part of my training that like I really loved. Um, and I was also an adjunct instructor for the community college. They had me teaching, um, college courses for, oh, wow. for students too. So I kind of did a mixture of like the wings for children, flight instructing. I was an adjunct professor. So yeah, that was kind of what I did in those two years. Did you enjoy being a CFI? I did. Yeah. Yes. It's so cool. Cause I see some of my students now just freaking flying jets or at different airlines. I'm like, oh, I taught you that, you know? <laughs> You wouldn't no. be here without me. Don't forget about <laughs> yeah. it. You owe me a coffee. Yeah, it's like, remember um, when you almost killed us in the 172? Good yeah, luck. Yeah. yeah, remember that sexy pilot voice you were practicing? Still not there. <laughs> yeah, still. Yeah, stop yeah, it. Still, yeah. Um, no, it's super cool. I love seeing 
being a part of somebody's journey. So it, it was really cool because I know how important my instructors were and I know mm-hmm. how important it is to have a good instructor yeah. as part. Like I kind of feel like instructors kind of make, can make or break your, oh, um, your journey. So you got one that's kind of not really focused on being an instructor and kind of just wants their hours and leaves yeah. and you kind of get left hanging. And then if you got one that's really invested in, you know, helping you, I, I know the difference. So I've had both. And I think I was very passionate about making sure that whoever I was there teaching, I gave everything to until it was my time to go. That's you know awesome. what I mean? So we, um, I had, I have some really, I keep in contact with many of my students actually. So yeah. that's the, cool. that's the main reason why I didn't become a CFI is because I truly didn't think I would be able to give like all my time and really be passionate about teaching. I just wanted to build mm-hmm. my hours as fast as possible. And I didn't want to, to have someone's career in my hands. Cause like you said, you're the one that is responsible for their learning. Mm-hmm. You are yeah. molding them into the pilot that they're going to become when they are a major airline pilot. And they're going to have you to either thank or blame for getting the job or not getting the job. And it's like, I don't really want that responsibility. I just kind of <laughs> want to build my time. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's like, it's just like, if you don't want to be a CFI, you can go down other routes. So that's why you have options. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm, there's plenty of options for sure. I knew that, uh, flight instructing just seemed to be the easiest for me to fall into when I got home. Um, mm-hmm. but a lot of people went to do, um, I think it was Airnet and yeah, did some of the Airnet. cargo flying oh, and, yep. and stuff like that. Yeah. That really wasn't my, I'm, you know, I like sleeping at nighttime, so <laughs> I wasn't really. Yeah. I flew cargo. That is not good that. for sleep whatsoever. So you made a good choice if you like sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got to keep this fresh, this face fresh somehow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had a lot of friends that went to Airnet too, and then I guess Airnet shut down, and then it became Airnet too, and now it's part of Coletta, so it's like a whole thing that's going on with Airnet. So yeah, I probably made the right choice. Yeah, it was NetJets and Airnet. That's where everybody kind of went, yeah. but neither one of them interested me as much, so yeah. I kind of went the flight instructing route. So. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. What was uh, life at a regional like when you got hired at a regional? Was it kind of the the bad time of regionals? Were you making minimum wage and sleeping on benches and <laughs> doing all that kind of stuff? Yes. Or was it? Yeah. What was oh, what yeah. was that like flying when you're getting when you knew someone at McDonald's might be making more money than you? <laughs> um, it it sucks. Yeah. To be honest with you, I mean, you literally are putting in. I mean, you have the crappy schedule. You're working holidays. You got all these i don't know it's just the logistics of being an airline pilot Mm -hmm. at the beginning was difficult you know you're in what's a crash pad you know like i don't sleep in bunk beds i've never slept in a bunk bed (laughs) you know like i don't want to do this i'm a pilot i don't need to (laughs) sleep in a bunk bed (laughs) yeah i'm like what is this you know you're on overnights by yourself and you're just like Okay, so I just I eat dinner by myself every night now. Yeah. Like, is that how this goes? You know, and like I just I can't stay in my anything. hotel room forever now. All right. Yeah. So do I pack mac and cheese every day? Like, <laughs> how does this work? You know. So the adjustment was tough because you know you think you get your first real job and you're just like, hell yeah, I made it, and like bring on the money, you know. And it's just no, honey, no, it's not <laughs> going to be there for a while. So it definitely was more of a pay your dues attitude. I think I I just kind of accepted because. That's just the way it was. There, it was not like you could go to. I mean, if you wanted the airline life, the regionals was the way to do it. And yeah. none of you weren't. I mean, none of them were making money. To be honest no. with the express shit was one of the best at the time when I got hired. Um, so yeah, it was it was a tough pill to swallow because you definitely have these ambitions of you know what a pilot airline pilot life is. You know, and you're all excited. You put on your uniform. You go there, and you know you can barely 
pay your gas bill when (laughs) (laughs) you get done. Well, it's crazy to think about. I mean, I don't really think that was very common knowledge for all the passengers, everything, how bad they were paid. It's definitely better now. I mean, I think it's kind of, I think they kind of do a good job of tricking people with the first year pay and the bonuses and then their second year pay. I think first year, some of them can make 70 or 80 grand and then second year it's back down to, to 45 or 40, which is still a lot better than what it was when you were coming up. But I mean, it's still, that's a big difference. That's a big jump to go from your first year with like a $30,000 bonus and you lose the bonus and you're back to kind of making 50 grand or 45 grand, but at least it's livable. So there's that. Oh, it's huge difference because I don't. I think I was at like twenty one thousand or something yeah. for like the first year. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. So yeah, no. Like you said, I mean, it's. I, I was lucky though. I never got furloughed. There um, you go. At that time, so you know, you kind of have to keep in perspective. Like, yeah. I'll take the twenty one thousand over. <laughs> I mean, maybe I wouldn't have because maybe I would have gotten a better job somewhere else, but. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. I mean, I know. And aviation is such a it's delayed, delayed gratification, like more than any other career there is. So your friends probably graduate from college by the time two years out of school. They're probably making, I don't know, like 60, 70 grand. Maybe some of them have a good job in a city, have their own apartment, don't sleep in a crash pad with a bunk bed. And you're like, dang, their life looks so good. (laughs) But it's like now, yeah, you're probably looking at them and they're probably still making 60 or 70 grand living in the same apartment. And you're finally like doing well and it's like all right this is finally worth it like i can finally say that i'm doing all right (laughs) with my life oh absolutely people are buying new cars they're Mm -hmm. getting married they got houses and i'm I'm literally barely making my business at the time and it's and you're on the road and it's just yeah absolutely it's it's definitely the choices you make in aviation because things change so much in aviation that you just hope to god you're making the right decision and you just hang on you know, at the time and, and hope that it works out. Definitely. I mean, think of the people that are at TWA when TWA was one of the, the biggest airlines or Pan Am and now they're not even airlines anymore. So it's like you said, you could be at a major, a legacy or I don't know, whatever airline you think. And the next day they could go bankrupt and now you could be looking for a job going somewhere else or someone else could buy. So like you said, aviation is wild. As soon as you get comfortable and stop kind of always keeping your eye out and kind of like paying attention to what's going on, something could happen. <laughs> so it's oh, definitely yeah. interesting. Yeah, I had some of our flight instructing friends who left, right? Um, I was still flight instructing and they had left to go to, um, I think it was Independence Air. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was a regional at the time. And that, you know, obviously is non-existent anymore. And they were out there trying to find something else. So you kind of like, you hear from so many people of like, okay, don't do this, do this. And you're just kind of hoping that you can just make it through with the decision and who, who calls yeah. at the time, you know? Yep. So. So talking about, so let's go, I want to ask you a CFI question again, not necessarily a question, but so a lot of people are coming up and they are trying to do their training. A lot of people listen to this podcast and what would you give some tips or what was like things that you learned as a CFI to help people maybe put them on the right track? What would be like three tips that you would give them or someone say to someone that wants to start flying? So tips as like say you're to the student, you're the CFI tell like tips to a student. Um, consistency is my first tip, um, because anything in aviation, um, especially when you're starting out, that's probably the thing that I learned the most is how inconsistent I was and how detrimental it was to the beginning of my training. So I think if you're going to go for it, put in the effort and put in the time that is required because it's imperative to how much, how, how well you will learn, um, you know, the flying and how well you'll do in your training, I think personally. Yeah. I would um, agree. I definitely think consistency is one. Um, 
I guess, you know, to back to my story of if you get somebody that tells you you're not doing things well or, you know, kind of gives you that harsh reality and the honest perspective of like, you need to either figure this out or it's not going to work for you. Right. Take that. Don't take that as a negative. Like I did take it as, you know, um, a, a stepping stone for yourself because along your journey, you're definitely going to have people that doubt you. Um, and you know, I, I mean, I even had it at, at the regional again, when I was going through training at express jet, um, you know, the people that just doubt and say like, I don't think you're going to get this. And, um, if you can turn that into fire inside of yourself, I totally think that that's something that you should, you should consider, like, I don't know how to say it, but, um, use it as motivation basically yeah, for sure. Verse, um, three things. I don't know. It doesn't have to be three. It can just be two. It's just three is a, a good number to ask, I guess. <laughs> that's my favorite number, but yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think those are two big things. Yeah. So it's like taking negatives and using it as motivation yeah. and definitely be consistent for sure. There's a difference it, between someone criticizing you and constructive criticism. So try to take it as constructive criticism and try to apply it to, to where you are in that situation, just like you said, and use it as fire to motivate your butt to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very much a type of personality. And I think most pilots are a prove it, you know, type mm-hmm. personality. So you tell us we can't do something. We will show you that we can do <laughs> we it. We're going to do it. Yeah, we're going to make it happen. So I think that's an important attitude to kind of have. Don't overstep yourself where you're like, you know, don't think you're Chuck Yeager all of a sudden. But, you know, keep it within the parameters, but use it definitely to to get yourself to where you need to be. For sure. I would 100% agree. All right, cool. I think that works for them perfectly. That's uh, Those are some good advice, something that everyone can use. Um, So you're back at a regional pilot. Was regional airline flying everything you thought it'd be and more, or was it different than we thought it was going to be? I don't think I knew what on God's green earth I was getting myself into, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think it was probably better than it was harder in the beginning, but better than I expected. Um, just the adjustment of flying with new people. Cause you know, when you're a flight instructor or you're in college, you're pretty much know who you're flying with all the time. Right. So the whole, you know, having a flight attendant, the, a captain, like, how do I, be friends? How do I be a first officer? How do I, you know, walk around as if I know what I'm doing and when I'm <laughs> so brand new and people look at you and ask you questions and you're like, yeah. I have no freaking clue. Just look the um, part, look the part. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, you kind of fake it till you make it almost. So yeah. like the whole, it was a, it was a big like learning adjustment for me. And I don't think I knew what I got myself into at first because I was just like, it was just a brand new world. Nobody, it's, you know, nobody really tells you too much how it's going to be until you actually experience it. You know, they can kind of give you an idea, but, um, like I said, the overnights, the crash pads, you're like, you like, I don't, I never heard of any of that stuff. So, um, once I got comfortable with what an airline pilot was, it was so much cooler. Like, cause when you start making friends and you can fly for free and do get a better schedule and you can start going on vacations and, you know, you start like only on a vacation month where you, can maximize your vacation and maybe only work, you know, two or three trips and you have two and a half weeks off and you're kind of like, who else gets two and a half weeks off, but you know, and get paid for it to like have a vacation, <laughs> right. but this job, you know what I mean? Like we have some really cool aspects to flying. We definitely that, do. 
you know, we can maximize our schedules or we could shift things if we need things off or ask a friend to pick up a trip for us or, you know, where not everybody can do stuff like that at their jobs, the flexibility we had. So, um, I absolutely loved it. And, you know, Cleveland, I was based in Cleveland. It was kind of like a small family feel. Mm -hmm. So it was a perfect place for me where I didn't feel like a small fish in like a huge pond. I kind of felt like I was able to adjust a lot easier because people were so, um, family oriented in a way nice. in that base. Yeah. So it turned out to be a really, um, awesome experience for me and probably better than I originally expected. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's definitely when you have a nice small family exposure and experience, that's definitely can, can help you out. And I agree with what you're saying about how there's like, no one teaches you what to do once you become an airline pilot. It's like all your whole career, you've been reading books about what to do or do watching YouTube videos, what to do, but there's nothing like, all right, when you show up your first day, you're going to walk down the jet bridge and then you're going to make sure your epaulets are facing this way and not the other way. And like, <laughs> there's just so much to being an airline pilot that you're never taught and you're just kind of just like job knowledge and stuff that you pick up on the way so it's definitely true oh that's exactly right like my first my very first trip um ioe my captain was like all right well i'm gonna park you know the car in the parking lot like he's like i'll meet you at the airplane you just go ahead and make your nest i'm like what the hell does that mean i don't yeah. know how to make a nest like my bird where, where yeah. <laughs> I, yeah i'm like where do i put my books how do i get the airplane he's like go ahead just turn on the airplane i'm like oh no no you know because when you're in training all you do is like air, the sims are already up and running you're yeah. just kind of like you just train 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 and so it's like real life world now like, i don't know how to turn this airplane on i'm like i barely he's like the most important thing is remember where your car's parked i'm like oh yeah you know i've never left a car somewhere for four days like you know because <laughs> my it's just it's just like all those little things that you're like where's the crew room i have no freaking clue yeah. like you know gate 28 where's 28 you're just like oh my god it's just you know and you're walking around a pilot uniform people are asking you like you know where the heck things are and you're just kind of <laughs> like actually do you mind helping me i know it's like are you on a, you're on a charlotte too oh yeah where, where's that plane <laughs> yeah, at? Yeah. yeah yeah have you seen the pilot because i'm kind of yeah. looking for them too <laughs> yeah. i lost my captain yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is funny walking yeah. in your pilot uniform in airport is kind of like the worst thing ever because everyone uh, expects you to know where stuff is it's like well, yeah, if you have a trip out to LA, it's like, I'm East Coast based. It's like, I don't know anything about LA. They're like, where's Terminal C? Where's, where's gate F15? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> and they look oh. at you like, how do you not know? It's like, how, what, how do you expect me to know where everything is? Yeah. They literally think you're lying to them because they, yeah. they if you don't know where the n nearest bathroom is, you don't know <laughs> where, you know, so-and-so's airline gate is parked at what gate, like, yeah. where, you know, Hey, where's my bag? honey, I'm sorry, but where did you leave your bag? Yeah. I honestly don't know. They told you, know you not I mean? to leave your bag over the loudspeaker. So why did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, yeah, you are literally a walking airport guy yeah. when you have that on. So yep, that is for sure. It comes with the territory. <laughs> it does. It does. So how long were you at a regional before you uh, made the move to your next company? You know, if I say this, people are going to be like, how old is she? Cause that's exactly what happens every time uh -oh. I was at express chat for 10 years, 10 years. So. Dang. Yeah. And then people are like, how, how old are you? I'm like, oh God, <laughs> here we go. I was always told never to ask that. So I want to ask you. <laughs> Don't, but. <laughs> but I'm older than 28 or 30. Like people think. So yeah, there you go. I'm 29. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, let's see. What was it? Yeah. So what was the process of, um, going from a regional to the place you're at now? Was it, I know you said that you were there for 10 years. Did you apply earlier than 10 years or did you wait 10 years to apply for a new job? Um, honestly, people weren't hiring until my eighth. No, people were hiring right around my seventh year, mm -hmm. um, at express jet. And at that time, um, it was all a thousand hours PIC that you needed to get 
to go on. So I never really applied anywhere because I was still stuck as a first officer at ExpressJet. And actually, I ended up being only a first officer at ExpressJet my entire career there. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I never got to upgrade as a captain because um, it wasn't until I think my year, I think it was eight and a half years, I could finally upgrade to captain. And at that time, the difference between my seventh and almost my ninth year, they had dropped the thousand hour PIC requirement and they were taking mostly FOs at the time. Like, so Sweet. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, thank you. So yeah. that's, that's when I started putting my applications out. So I had applied to United American, um, JetBlue. Um, and yeah, JetBlue like ate me up right away. I was the first person to call. I had, you know, um, a very quick process to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I think I applied and gosh, I want to say March and I was interviewed in October, maybe and nice. in training by a year from me applying like in March, it was very fast. It was kind of almost like a whirlwind and I wasn't really expecting anything because it was literally my first time being able to apply places because <laughs> you know, the requirement had finally dropped yeah. for the most part. So, um, yeah, it was, um, it, it worked out. And to be honest with you, it's probably the perfect place for me to be right now. That's awesome. So good. Yeah. Well, it worked out for a reason and it's awesome. Yeah. I'm not sure how it happened like this, but it, I'm glad it did. What so. was the, did you notice any differences between the, the company right now and a regional? Like did, uh, well, first question actually, did you feel when you got the call from the airline that you're at now, was it like the greatest moment of your life? You're like, I'm finally made it. I'm like a real airline pilot. I have a livable wage. <laughs> I can buy a car. I don't have to, like, I, can, <laughs> I don't have to worry about Easy Mac anymore. What was that feeling like? Yeah, it's so funny because actually when I was skiing in Idaho when I got the call and actually the guy that called me, I'm friends with, and he literally called me and I was kind of anticipating sort of the phone call mm -hmm. and I dang near fell off the side of that mountain oh. trying to answer my phone and ski down a freaking hill. I was oh. so, and I'm not a good, good skier, so I looked like... A, I mean, I had to look like a circus act going down there and I was just like trying to answer my phone and I, I missed this call because I couldn't get my gloves off. Like I had 25 gloves on and my fingers are frozen still and I'm just like, no. <laughs> and so he finally, and I'm like, I finally make myself down like on one ski to the finally to the bottom <laughs> of the hill and I'm just like, oh my God, oh my God. And I'm like, I'm calling and I'm like two bars of reception. I'm like in the mountains, you know? And yeah. so I'm like, no, no, no. So I call That's back. That's hilarious. And like, four times and he didn't answer and I was like oh and so finally he called me back he's like we'd like to put you in class and I was like yes yes I will whenever <laughs> like it was just so I was so excited so that's awesome um so that's my phone call and then um what was the other part of your question about was, getting the did you notice any differences between the two like did they what did it feel like it was similar flying and similar stuff or was kind of like the mentality of being at a, a major airline much like I don't know. Was it a little easier to be there? Did you, or like, were the people better? Were you like, you know how you're at a regional, everyone, people get stuck there and their kind of mentality is like, oh, flying sucks. It's the worst. Once you got to the airline right now, was it kind of like a little bit better? And they're like, ah, oh, welcome to JetBlue. It's the greatest place in the world. We make so much money, all this stuff. Yeah. Um, I have to say that the, the culture, JetBlue is known for its culture. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I have to say that the culture there is, was awesome when I first got to JetBlue. Um, it, you know, the people are awesome. You know, it, people express that we're awesome too. I can't complain about either one. Like I've had a great experience as far as that goes. The biggest thing difference, um, for me was the training. I think, you mm -hmm. know, when you get to the regionals, it was very, this is before AQP and stuff. So it was very like 
V1 cuts, you know, you're doing actual check rides, you know, doing stalls, doing mm-hmm. steep turns, things like that. Whereas now my training at Joe Blue 10 years later is AQP and it's, it was so easy. Like, like when I told you my OE instructor's like, go make your nest and turn on the airplane. I was mm-hmm. like, uh, I can do a V1 cut. That's about it out of here. You know what I mean? Like, I don't <laughs> yeah, know. You fit an engine on me. I'll be all right. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm like, I know how to do like maneuvers in a simulator. I don't know how to be an airline pilot. Whereas JetBlue's program really does a good job of making you and puts it in so many steps that you really honestly feel like you're already in the airplane before you actually get there. So the transition for me after training was awesome at JetBlue because I felt like I understood my role and where to go and how things, you know, go in the, and plus, you know, coming from a regional, you kind of have the airline mentality. So the airline life itself, it's kind of the same everywhere in a way, like an airline's an airline and essentially, you know, I mean, we all kind of sort of do the same stuff in a way, but, um, you know, the difference, I, I, the people, but the training was probably the biggest difference for yeah. me. Well, yeah, um, I mean, I like I said, airlines and airlines, I mean, essentially every part of the airlines or just a flying job in general, it's very similar stuff. It's just the only difference is you get paid more and the equipment's a little bit better. It's like, they're still going to use you as much as possible. You're still going to be tired and you're still going to like, you have your duty times, yeah. you get to fly. Like a lot of the, the issues that you had are still similar. It's just, you're getting paid more and you're flying cooler stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the air. Yeah, it's definitely it was it was definitely a cool, you know, I'm now in a bigger airplane. Like I remember, you know, you go from the 145 that kind of sort of sits like the Corvette low to the ground or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and then you kind of get the like the 190 for me felt like I was in a 747, you know, like it just felt so high to me because my sight picture was so different, but yeah, no, it's cool. Like the, and it felt like the airplanes were a little bit newer for me versus, you know, sometimes the regional jets can be a little worn out. um, (laughs) Just a little bit over the years. (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Saying that kindly. (laughs) Yeah. They need a little TLC. (laughs) So, so yeah, um, no, but it was cool. Like the atmosphere is cool. I can't say that. I mean, like you said, the airlines is an, is essentially an airline. So. Yeah. so when you got the call from the airline that hired you away from the regional and you were really excited, is that where the dances came? Is that when the first <laughs> Chanel dance happened or was that a, was that like a constant thing throughout your career? No, that was definitely just a random thing that happened. I was in some weird, crazy ass mood one day when we were (laughs) flying. We were delayed. I think I was just kind of like in my own world. And I started playing, for whatever reason, the peanut butter jelly song. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I do. Okay. So (laughs) I don't know where this thing came from, but it got stuck in my head like nobody's business. So I'm up there like peanut butter jelly time. And I just (laughs) went crazy. So I made like a freaking 10 second video of me dancing with my flight crew because my flight tens were just getting on the airplane. They were like laughing at me and I was just being stupid for 10 seconds. I was like, mm-hmm. whatever, I'll throw this on Instagram. Well, the reaction I got from that stupid single peanut butter jelly video was out of control. That's hilarious. So then everybody was like, oh my God, you have to like do another one. I was like, all right, well, yeah, I mean, whatever. Like I'm goofy to begin with. So, yeah. you know, um, I can't, I just don't tech, you know, I don't throw usually stuff on social media or record record it so I just yeah. kind of do my thing but yeah it just kind of became I guess my thing because I just I just like to show the goofy side you know I guess yeah, a little bit more sure. and and I guess the reaction was you know was so awesome for me because people were like I love how like 
you kind of, um, you put a smile on my face or I was having such a crappy day and you just made my day. And like, you know, I don't know who these people are. They just all of a sudden found me and saw my dance and like somehow it changed their day. And that kind of was so awesome for me. I'm like me being goofy for 10 seconds and picking out a Will Smith song to dance to (laughs) was kind of like made somebody's day was like, all right, I can do this. So, you know, and then people are like, and you know, some people get so worried about, um, what others think and things like that and people are like i love how you just don't care you just basically i mean they're not even good dancers let's be honest i mean these are like <laughs> like we're talking like napoleon dynamite type style dances it's like these are really terrible so and, and they're they're meant to be goofy like because i just i'd like to just um i don't know i just think they're fun and so when people are like oh yeah you just uh you just make me you remind me that it's okay to be who i am oh, you know awesome. and it's okay and so um, I kind of just kept going with them. I don't, I guess I don't do them as much right now. Um, but so, uh, I bring need them back. Of, I, I know yeah. I need to film need to one as soon as we're done with the con- <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> that's right. And that's going to be the promo for the podcast as you're dancing. So <laughs> all right, get on it. <laughs> that's what sounds good. I'll come up with something good. Yes. Irish. I can probably come up with some Irish jig or something right. to do. Right. There you go. St. Patrick's right. Day is right around the corner. Let's get it on. Yeah. yeah. So I'll have to do another one. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I got a quick rapid fire section for you and then I'll let you go. Um, it's just going to be a bunch of random questions, aviation related, kind of like what's your favorite plane? What kind of food do you like? Like all that stuff. But you say the first thing that comes to your mind. Oh, Lord help you. I right. can edit this. <laughs> nope. No editing. The world will know the true you after this. No. All right. You ready? Go. What is your favorite airplane? I would have to say the 747, the Queen. What's your least favorite airplane? Or the maybe not least, like, what's what's the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Yeah, the one that looks like the catfish. Yes, like you're a, my new favorite person, the Piaggio. <laughs> I hate that yes, plane. Yes, that one. <laughs> yeah. That thing is just damn ugly looking. Thank you. Finally, you're the only other person that I've met that has agreed with me. I get so much crap on Instagram <laughs> for making fun of that plane, but it is awful. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm with you, man. All right, yeah, cool. That thing's gross. What is your favorite airport food to grab? I mean, come on, Chick-fil-A. Yes. I All mean, right, you're two for you? two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't go wrong with Chick-fil-A. Anyone that says Chick doesn't say Chick-fil-A has something wrong with them. <laughs> I mean, that's like default almost. Yeah, like, exactly. Except on Sundays. That's sad. <laughs> I, I know. I have to actually go get something else on Sundays. I'm like, finally, the salad once. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, finally, the salad. <laughs> what is, do you like for training aircraft when you're doing CFI and stuff, would you rather be in a Cessna or a Piper? Cessna. All day. That, yeah, that's just what I'm most comfortable with. That's what I did most of my training in, so that's kind of what I'm I'm used to. My default is. Would you rather fly over the ocean, over the country, or over mountains? Mountains. I yeah. love mountain flying. Mountain flying's pretty awesome. Yes. Let's see. <laughs> if you all right, so you have to have one thing with you all the time when you fly, what would it be? It can be like an iPad before flight, sunglasses, a watch, or I don't know, your phone to record dances, whatever. Yeah, pretty much my phone and my music. That's yeah. pretty much what it comes with me all the time. I mean, the sunglasses, definitely my Ray-Bans. But yeah, I'm, I have a Bluetooth speaker that I bring with yeah. me that, that I play music. So that's my go-to. If you could fly one airplane, what would it be? The 7-4. All right, there we go. Let's see, yes. what else do we have? Who would you say is... The most you're like the most influential aviation person in your career. It could be like a famous person, or it could just be like your flight instructor. Oh my god, that's a tough one. I've never thought about this before. Boom. 
Yeah, you got me on this one. Um, I don't know. I guess probably I would. I would probably have to go with my dad. Yeah, there um, you go. You know, it's not like there was anything in particular, but he was just watching him do his thing. I think just inspired me naturally to want to be, you know, a yeah. pilot and who I am. And just, you know, I fl- flew on his um, airplane before and just, he puts down this soft little greaser, you know, in Chicago <laughs> hair. And I'm like, dang, boy, that's my you dad. Know? What's up? <laughs> yeah. I that man. That's you know? awesome. So I think just little things like that as going through my journey, you know, um, really kind of, yeah. you know, made me proud and inspired me to be like that. So well, shout out to your dad. What's up? Yeah. Well, cool. Well, those are all the ones I can think of off the top of my head. So that is it for now. But that's pretty much all I have. Is there anything else that you wanted to say at all? Or do you feel like you covered it all? No. Yeah, I think we got it down. I can't wait to hear this Perfect. edited version. Yeah. No, unedited. <laughs> all unedited. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Chanelli, not Chanelli. Yes, uh, that's I, right. I think your story would be great to tell to other people. And I'm just excited for you to tell it. And I would agree that I like seeing the the goofiness and the, the dances and stuff because it kind of brings a different side of aviation. Because everyone thinks that we're all pilots are so serious and can't have fun. But it's like, no, you can still have fun while you're on the job. So I appreciate it. And I can't wait for this to come out. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's good talking to you. Yeah, no problem. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. See ya. And that is a wrap of episode number 55. Aviation, thank you for listening to today's episode. And thanks to our sponsor, Lift Academy. You can check out more information at www.flywithlift.com. And make sure to check out next week as I have an interview with Lift Academy and we found out all the details you could ever want to know. Aviation, like I said earlier today, if you liked the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can check us out on Instagram at pilot the pilot. Email me at pilot the pilot HQ at gmail.com. Check out our website www.pilotthepilothq.com. And last but not least, please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash pilot the pilot. You can get some awesome swag there, so make sure to check it out. Aviation, happy flying.